You're listening to episode 152 of Mid-America Reformed Seminary's Roundtable Podcast. In this broadcast, the faculty of Mid-America discuss theology and cultural issues, all from a Reformed perspective. I'm Jared Luchibor, Director of Marketing. Thank you for tuning in. In today's episode, Dr. Venema addresses some of the assaults on the doctrine of justification. Now, one may sound very familiar to you, that being federal vision theology, and the other being the radical antinomian anti-lordship salvation views of Zane Hodges. Take a listen. I noted in the prior podcast that part of my interest in discussing Calvin's view on what he calls the twofold grace that becomes ours through union with Christ, our free justification, and to use the common parlance today, although it wasn't exactly Calvin's, our sanctification. We must distinguish without separating this double benefit of our union with Christ. I mentioned that I'm interested in the topic not only because I wrote a dissertation on it, but when I wrote that dissertation, I had no idea I neither a prophet nor the son of a prophet, that in my lifetime, the Reform, Presbyterian, and even more broadly evangelical world would be rife with controversies in the area of the communication of Christ's saving work and its benefits to believers through union with him, that this question of justification and sanctification, their distinction and separation, which was marvelously, in my judgment, well articulated, not only in the Confessions, but earlier in Calvin's Institutio, that this would become a big topic of controversy in the um, in those contexts, Reformed, Presbyterian, and also more broadly evangelical. And what I have in mind when I, I say that are a series of sometimes related, sometimes discrete debates that have taken place. Within the Reformed and Presbyterian context, those debates are associated with the name, for example, of Norman Shepard, or more broadly, and he's associated with the movement, with what is called the Federal Vision. I'll talk about those issues perhaps first. The second set of issues or controversies regarding justification and sanctification is associated with uh, what in shorthand, and it's probably not the best language, I'll talk about that as well, what is called lordship versus non-lordship salvation views. A debate that has arisen not so much within a Reformed or Presbyterian context, but more broadly within evangelicalism, and especially among some dispensationalists who have advocated what they've called a non-lordship salvation view, but also uh, a variety of views on the doctrine of justification that are associated with post-Wesley or Wesleyan-influenced second blessing doctrines or what is sometimes called a higher Christian life view, or even the Keswickian movement, uh, all of which are movements that not only distinguish justification from sanctification, or to put it otherwise, sanctification from justification, but classify Christians into two broad categories, sometimes called carnal and spiritual, where the, call it 
reality of the believer's sanctification is treated as a kind of higher-level form of Christian experience, existence. To put it very simplistically, you can be justified without being sanctified. Now, to be sanctified is a good thing, but it's not necessary as an element integral to your salvation so that you can actually have union with Christ through faith unto justification without really being sanctified in the proper sense of that word. So those are the two broad areas I'm going to address. I'll start with what I've called the position of Norman Shepherd and more broadly of advocates of the so-called federal vision. Happily, I think the debates Uh, relating to federal vision have somewhat ebbed, died down in recent discussion, largely because most of the confessionally reformed and Presbyterian churches undertook studies of the issue and repudiated, and properly so, um, some aspects of the teaching of proponents of the so-called federal vision. But let me use Norman Shepard as a... um, sort of illustration. I've myself had many discussions over the years with Norman Shepard. I speak of him not to criticize the person, but to address some aspects of his position on the question of justification, to which I take exception. I can say this, that in my discussions with him, I'd often say, uh, Calvin got this just right over against his argument that, in part, his formulation of the doctrine of justification was born out of his opinion that, to use his language, the downside of the Reformation was a privileging and emphasizing of justification to the expense of, and even at the risk of, a kind of antinomianism. He actually, in some ways, resurrected in his view of justification an older opinion, a minority opinion among a few theologians who uh, argued that the righteousness that is the basis for our pre-justification, the forgiveness of our sins, is the righteousness consisting in Christ's passive obedience. Uh, federal visionists and Norman Shepard basically articulated a doctrine of justification as meaning no more than the forgiveness of our sins. God remits our sins because Christ has paid the penalty and suffered the consequence in his substitutionary death and work of atonement in payment for our sin so that we are forgiven, the wages of sin have been paid, were declared by God not guilty. All of those things are true, and they're affirmed by Norman Shepard and by many federal visionists. But what is critically important is that he also refused to affirm, and federal visionists likewise refused to affirm, that the righteousness upon which we are justified includes also the full curriculum of Christ's act of obedience. Because they have the worry, which Piscator and earlier Reformed theologians, a minority, a few, worry that if you say that Christ has discharged all of our obligations under the law, 
both actively and that most particularly and passively, then does that not entail that believers who are united to Christ through faith for justification and who receive Christ's righteousness both in respect to his active obedience and in respect to his passive obedience, that we no longer have any obligations with respect to the law's requirements as believers? Doesn't it entail a kind of, why not sin that grace may abound? If Christ has done it all, if he's obeyed the law in all of its parts and suffered the penalty of transgression against that law in all respects, what possible ground or basis or motive imperative is there that Christians are under obligation to, though not perfectly, certainly by the working of the Spirit, do what the law requires. And so you find within Norman Shepard's formulations and those of the Federal Vision proponents an argument that works, though non-meritorious, they don't merit our acceptance with God and our salvation, are a necessary instrument because the faith that justifies is a penitent faith, an obedient faith, a faith that is ever accompanied, to use the language of the Westminster Confession, by good works as its necessary fruits. So you get a kind of slippery, ambiguous use of the language of justification by faith alone, even, although Norman Shepard wrote a few essays in which he opined that uh, the confessions don't actually explicitly use that formulation very often, if at all. Uh, I think that's not able to be sustained. But it's a working faith that justifies. It's not faith in its receptivity, in its reliance upon, in its passive receiving of Christ's righteousness that is the instrument for our justification. And therefore you find formulations like, rather than using the language of faith alone as the exclusive instrument of our justification, it's our faithfulness, or it's the obedience of faith, or it's an obedient faith that is said to be instrumental to our justification. Now, I would be the first to acknowledge that even Calvin, and he's often quoted to this effect, that whereas faith alone is instrumental to our justify justification, faith alone justifies, the faith that justifies, says Calvin, is never an alone faith. Well, Reformed theologians historically in the Confessions say they're yes and they're amen to that, but they're very careful to resolutely and consistently argue that in its function in receiving what God freely grants and imputes to us, the righteousness of Christ, faith is passive. Or another word that's often employed, it's extrospective. It looks away from itself and to Christ alone, and it receives with an empty hand 
what Christ alone and God in Christ grants to us. So you have to be absolutely careful not to insert works that faith necessarily produces inevitably and invariably produces, works into faith in respect to its instrumentality unto our justification. Uh, But that's what, in my estimation, occurs in the formulations of Norman Shepard and in some proponents of the federal vision. They collapse, to use Calvin's language, they confuse uh, the, the double benefit. They, they, they do more than simply insist upon their inseparability. They conflate them. And it's a complicated topic, and I've oversimplified things. It goes to questions as well regarding uh, the formulation of the doctrine of the pre-fall covenant of works and the post-fall covenant of grace and a reformulation by Norman Shepard and Federal Vision proponents of that pre-fall relationship. Uh, But that would get us into, at least at this juncture, the weeds. Let me turn to perhaps a better known, more broadly within evangelicalism debate, and that is, is it possible to say or to affirm that believers through faith could be united to Christ and receive the free grace of justification without being sanctified. And I'll focus largely on proponents of the so-called non-lordship position, many of whom are dispensationalists and who take the radical contrast between the dispensation in the Old Testament economy under Moses, which was a dispensation of law, and they contrast that radically with what is ours in Christ, which is a dispensation not of law, but of grace. We're no longer under the law. Uh, We're in Christ, saved by grace and alone. And many proponents of the uh, so-called non-lordship position, what uh, Wayne Grudem, I think, in a useful book on this topic that I would commend, Free Grace Theology, He calls it free grace theology in the sense of a grace that freely grants the grace of justification but doesn't call those who believe to repentance, nor does it entail that all believers will also experience God's grace by the working of the Spirit in being renewed, not perfectly, but making a beginning of new obedience in the way of sanctification. You can actually be justified without being sanctified. Interestingly, in the um, comments on 1 Corinthians 3 in the Schofield Reference Bible, there's a very important footnote that argues when Paul says to the Corinthians, I cannot speak to you as those who are spiritual, but as those who are carnal. A distinction is made between the spiritual Christian who receives Christ not only for justification, but comes under and acknowledges his lordship and dominion, and by the sanctifying work of the Spirit, are renewed in righteousness, and a so-called carnal Christian, where Christ is not yet enthroned. Sometimes the language is used, you receive Christ by faith, but you don't surrender to his lordship. You've not yet surrendered. Zane Hodges and others have argued for this position as dispensationalists. 
uh, quite radically. They'll even argue, as Zane Hodges has with respect to James 2, that James is not really talking about salvation there. He's talking about a faith that is flourishing. So the carnal Christian, who is justified but not sanctified, can have a faith that is literally dead, workless, not accompanied by good works. And they, they actually maintain, this is an interesting historical point, that they're saving the Reformation. They're protecting the Reformation's view on this question from a kind of gnomism or legalism that says works are an integral component, a necessary aspect of what it means to belong to Christ. Well, that's a somewhat inadequate description of the debate regarding Lord, so-called lordship salvation. I don't, I don't like that language. It's not as though we're talking about two different things. Let's just use the language of salvation and ask the question, what belongs to our salvation when we are by the Spirit brought into union with Christ? And here, let me piggyback on my earlier exposition of Calvin's position. The mistake that the non-lordship salvation advocates and some proponents of that position among dispensationalists is the separating, to use Calvin's term, a separation between justification and sanctification, the double benefit or the twofold grace of God. It's as though you can have Christ in part unto justification but not Christ in the fullness of his office as mediator in terms of his prophetic, priestly, and kingly office. Uh, I don't know if I mentioned this in my first. I think I mentioned it to Jared in the time between these two podcasts. Uh, I really appreciate the language and argument of Sinclair Ferguson in his well-entitled book, The Whole Christ. That's the real crux of the question. Do we acknowledge that all believers, without exception, in some measure and to some degree, through faith union with with Christ, receive Christ for all the benefits? Paul can say in Ephesians 1 in that well-known passage that by God's grace, we come to enjoy all of the spiritual blessings that are ours through union with Christ. And principal among those blessings are our free justification and our progressive renewal in sanctification. You can't have Christ for one without having Christ for the other. Perhaps this allows me to reference Calvin's favorite text, on the inseparability and the fullness of the grace or the manifold grace that is ours in Christ. It's 1 Corinthians 1.30. Christ is given to us for what? For righteousness, for sanctification, for wisdom. The whole Christ, not Christ in part. And the non-lordship salvation view really... um, separates what God has joined together, what may not be separated. Uh, If I may use the marriage analogy, what God joins together, let no man put asunder. 
The same holds true theologically for the grace or the manifold grace that is given to us in Christ. Christ is given to us for righteousness in our justification. He's given to us and we receive him as such through faith for sanctification. Tune in next week as guest lecturer and professor of ministerial studies at Divine Hope Reformed Bible Seminary, Reverend Paul Ipema, gives us a timely word on Christian counseling in pastoral ministry titled Reclaiming the Cure of Souls in an Age of Pastoral Confusion. For more podcast episodes, you can find us on our website at midamerica.edu slash podcasts and wherever you listen to your favorite shows, be sure to search for and subscribe to Mid-America Reformed Seminaries Roundtable. I'm Jared Luchbor. Till next time.